You're listening to Between the Pages, a book club podcast that focuses on books written for young readers. Our book club's made up of a rotating roster from the staff of Camp Half-Blood, Austin Bridge. To learn more, visit us at between-the-pages.org. This week, we're tackling Chapter 3 of The Lightning Thief. I'm Moises Chuyan, your moderator. Joining me, as always, is your host, our founder and creative director, Topher Bradfield, and we are joined by the same crew that was with us covering Chapter 2, Adele, Bailey, Joe B., and Hector. Topher, take us into Chapter 3. Grover unexpectedly loses his pants. <laughs> we've all been there. We've all unexpectedly oh, yeah. lost our pants <laughs> at some no, point or another. There's I mean, no right way to say it. That was... <laughs> There's no prep. It's like, it's like everybody's worst elementary school dream. So, yeah. So, so, so hopping in, uh, they get to the bus terminal, and Grover and um, and Percy are are getting ready to, you know, catch a a ride, right? Mm-hmm. And we pretty quickly get to learn about Percy and his his connection to his mother, mm-hmm. the mother's backstory. Uh, and and how rough that was, mm-hmm. you know, Sally, um, you know, Sally Jackson, he calls her like this, this is one of the best people in the world, yeah. um, and and she's been through so much. She wanted to be a novelist, but then life got in the way, um, and she came from kind of an abusive, you know, family background after her parents died in a plane crash. Uh, and then is sent, I believe, to live with an uncle um, who really didn't care for her at all. And, um, and In then... In fact, she cared for him. Yeah, yeah, until he died. Yeah. And, and, then, and, then, and then we have her set up as Percy's ultimate kind of protector. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the lioness. And that is way, the, the way that shows up um, is, is through our introduction to... Gabe Ugliano, Smelly Gabe, right? What a name, man. What a name. The, the, the dumpster out at Camp Half-Blood is named Smelly Gabe. <laughs> you know, we, we cover a lot of ground here. Like, like you said, we, uh, we're introduced to his, uh, to, his, to his home situation. Um, he ditches Grover at the bus station. He totally does. Totally yeah, ditches yeah. him. Yeah. Promising, yeah. He, after promising, oh, I totally won't. Yeah, no, no problem, bro. And just, well, you, can't, you can't really blame him after, like, you know, he overheard Grover talking about him and then Grover lies to him. Yeah. Right. He right. knows that he's lying to yeah. him. I don't know. I think I can blame him. He did, <laughs> he did promise Grover he would wait. It was kind of a jerk move. That's kind of like, yeah. yeah. At, that point, it, at that point, it's a jerk move. I yeah. guess, like, if you promise, but... Yeah, you know, but still, no, no, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of tints, tones, and shades in that decision. It's like he's, he's, he's getting kicked out of, he's getting kicked out of the school. He really didn't want to get kicked out of. He, more than anything, he didn't want to disappoint his mother. But there's so much not normalcy mm-hmm. attached with Yancey, and nobody's telling him anything. To where the one person he can trust over at the school, okay, you're, you're not gonna give me anything from here on out. You, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn because you don't mean me any ill intent, but still you're not giving me everything. So let me just go ahead and dip this whole situation. All of the weirdness ends with you, so I'm leaving. But but also, like, I can't blame him because if I had a friend that saw something weird with me and kept muttering under his breath, why don't they ever last past sixth grade? Exactly. I 
I too would run away from that friend if I were in sixth grade. Because I would connect the dots and think, oh, maybe he's schizophrenic or something. And, 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 I don't know. I just... No. It, it really it, it makes you question everything that you take for granted. Yeah, right. Everything, right. everything, and oh, for and, sure. and then he he gets home, and one of the things that he, uh, well, he's been disappointed by so much that he doesn't he, he he has no reason to worry that Gabe is going to let him down any more than he already has. He he knows exactly what he's dealing with with Gabe, where his interaction with Gabe is so entirely on autopilot uh, that mm. it, it just that it, it gives us a great picture into what half of his home life is like mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. That's, that's pretty much it I mean as much as he despises Gabe it's still a controlled environment yeah. you know he just I, I, I can deal with you and my mom's gonna be home any minute and that's better than the whole three four months of what I just got through going through yeah so oh well yeah Gabe, the, the, the way Gabe is described and this this is an important thing the smelly Gabe moniker is important. Um, and Rick Percy describes him as smelling like moldy garlic pizza wrapped in gym shorts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and reinforcing, wow. reinforcing the, the nickname and reinforcing every description of how he smells and reinforcing the fact that he always smells like cologne and always smells like cigars and beer and beer the first time i read it seemed like such overkill and like almost made me nauseous as i was reading it and i was so tired of reading the description of how he smelled so that later when i when the revelation of why it made so much sense i was almost mad at rick for over describing it, and I was like, "This is a bit much, dude." Yeah, well, you, you didn't know that you were getting the book in smell vision for right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's also really important because, as much as we have like this first half of this chapter taken up with a small description of his mom to begin with, and then this huge description of, this of well, smelly game. Yeah. There's a lot, especially when it gets back to his mom and how she treats him mm. and how she reacts to Gabe when we talk about the blue food the blue f- and yeah, how she tends so to make blue food mm-hmm. just to kind of spite Gabe. Because there's they have all an of this, argument right. about yeah. there's, not there's this kind of questioning yeah. of, okay, so why is he here? Yeah, like there's, why, there's why is she def- putting up with him? There's definitely yeah. some hints that she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. So, so why does point? she? Yeah, no, there's definitely some mystery there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So then his mom shows up and the clouds part and the sun breaks through <laughs> and it's it's like a it's like a whole Angel different sing. world. Mm-hmm. Angels sing. <laughs> Angels sing and the angel is his mom. Uh, like she she gets she gets about the most reverent mom introduction that one could hope for. How does this paint the picture for us in, in contrast to Gabe uh, about about what Sally Jackson's like? Yeah. Well, she's the kindest person in the world that has never raised her voice to anyone. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think most children, even if they do have the kindest parents in the world, wouldn't be able to describe their parents that way uh, just because they don't have that, that scope of, of uh, observational skills. But uh, Percy does, I think, maybe because there's such a contrast between her and her stepdad. That, and it does... It does... Um, being at a school that takes you away 
from your home life for months at a time and only getting a certain amount of time with your family, it's like seeing the highlight reel a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, you don't, when you only have a certain length of time with your family, you want those times to be good. Yeah. And not saying that she wouldn't be good if they were there all the time. I mean, if he was there all the time. However, you definitely want your, you only have a few days for Christmas and a few weeks in the summer. You want those specific times to be as good as possible because you don't get to see them very often. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess, I guess piggybacking on that, Percy is very concerned about um, not being a drag on his mom. You know, like doing well in school. It's a lot of shame and and a lot of hurt um, and, and guilt about being kicked out of Yancey. And he knows his mother has to put up with Gabe for some reason and has had a rough life. And of course, being aware enough about that, he doesn't, he doesn't want to like lower that on his mom. It's another, yet another burden he doesn't want to have to share with her. Isn't there also like some confusion on his part why he keeps getting sent away to school? Yes, and that he doesn't. He's, he's being sent away. He doesn't understand, and then he keeps failing. Yeah, and out. and since she does know what he is, because she is aware. <clears throat> yeah, uh, and yeah, she yeah she does know what is is or is going to be after him. It she is probably hyper aware of making things as nice and smooth and happy for him as possible for as long as possible because she knows how crap things are going to be or can be for him later in life. So she wants a golden, happy glow over his childhood as much as she yeah. is able to be so that in itself may color his childhood memories of her for the short amount of time that he has them because she knows, oh, his adult life if he survives into them, right. you know, is, is going to be full of trial and tribulation, tribulation. So while I have control of what he experiences, I want to make that as painless as possible. So, you know, that might color his view of his mom as supreme angel goddess of the world, you know, like. They can't talk about the thing. Exactly. The, the elephant in the room right. is unspoken. And it's like, yeah. uh, we're introduced to the idea of, Percy's dad earlier in this chapter mm -hmm. where, um, you know, he mentions, okay, they were married. Mom told me that he was, you know, rich um, and important. The relationship was a secret um, and that he went on an ocean journey and just never came back. Lost at sea lost is what mom sea, said, you know, not dead, not dead lost at sea. just lost at sea. And so that's the first. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. There's a saying, you know, what we dislike in others, we despise in ourselves. And that's why I find it interesting that um, you see this in the way that Percy's so upset at the fact that, yes, I've been seeing all this crazy stuff, but now y'all know and y'all really won't tell me. And that's why he ditched Grover. But at the same time, as soon as he sees his mom, you know, the one good thing he has in this world. I mean, kids who go through the most of it, there's always that one person who's this one. So you don't want to bring in any of your world into this relationship. So I'm not gonna tell you about anything I just went through, even though I just got through tired of getting upset at people lying to me. I have to lie to you because you're the one good thing that I have and I don't want you to see me right. like everybody else does. Mm -hmm. I think he mm -hmm. also doesn't want her to worry because he just wants it to be pleasant. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And that boy, 
that kind of thing gets in the way of all of our adult relationships. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> all of them. We don't want you to worry. We don't want you to worry. So we're not going to talk about what we need to talk about. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to point out from like a character establishment mm-hmm. point of view, um, this is like the third person in the book. I think we've got Mr. Bruno mm-hmm. Grover and now Percy's mom. These are like the only three people that he actually cares about. Right. Right. Because they seem to be the only people who actually care about him. But um, it also establishes, further establishes this fierce loyalty mm-hmm. that Percy has to these people because it's such a small pool. Like, oh, you yeah. imagine anybody who has such a small pool would want to hold on to that pool. Yeah. Yes. But um, this fierce loyalty that he has, barring any, you know, leaving people at bus stations incidents, <laughs> um, it's, it's very central to his character, so much so that it becomes a thing later on in the series. Yeah, and, and, so. and yeah, again, discussing Gabe as a way to really emphasize how wonderful his mother is. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And then we learn, uh, we learn another reason, potentially, why Percy isn't that worried about uh, being stuck at home with Gabe, because he knows that, uh, to quote Sweeney Todd, he's about to go <laughs> by the sea. <laughs> yeah, mom, mom tells him, hey, I've got a surprise, let's go to the cabin at Montauk. Uh, and, and, uh, and Percy lights up. It's like, are we go- when are we going? And she's like, the second I can change and pack. Um, which, seem- which seemed extreme upon first reading. Right. Yes. Like, what? Yeah. Who, who plans a vacation? Last like, minute, you of- just got home from school. We are leaving now. <laughs> like, exactly. that seemed a bit... Everything is totally normal. <laughs> Exactly. Do not worry about anything. Like, that seemed just a bit... Mm. Well, but this also goes back to your last point about not having that many days to... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It could, it could be more normal that. for them. Yeah. yeah. And, and how they get... absolutely right. Yeah. How they get there, the conveyance to, yeah. again, is all wrapped up in Gabe. His... Yes. His, 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 his Camaro. Yeah. It's not Sally. It's Prize. That is his prize possession. His prize it is not, Camaro. It is not his relationship, not Percy... It is the car. The one <laughs> thing about Gabe that is well kept. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not a scratch. Not, Not a scratch. A scratch. Even though he's twelve and can't drive, if, yeah. if it a, will be his fault if anything right. happens. If, if so much as a bird poops on <laughs> the, the the car, yeah. Which almost makes me wonder if if Gabe has some sort of like like feeling that the, that the kids aren't all right. Like, <laughs> like something weird is with this kid. So if something happens, I feel like it's the kid's fault, even though it can't be the kid's fault. Yeah, and, and, and there's another conversation that he's having with his mom, um, you know, it speaks to the way Percy still relates you know, to the world amidst all of this crazy stuff. Um, and it starts to bridge the two worlds, the mortal world and the world of the demigods or half-bloods that he's about to step into, she's kind of telling him that she has to send him away. Like, he can't be at home. And his response to that is, because I'm not normal. And it's that oof, you know. Um, And it's certainly true. (laughs) He is not normal. He is a half-blood. And... She manages to do about as poorly as Mr. Brewer does. Yeah, this one. So yeah, yeah. Well, it, that's and, always fun. Yeah, and and part of part of that is just how Percy is relating right. it, it's, to that. It's that whole like, there's things I want to tell you, but I can't. So now yeah. I need to phrase things around that, and it's well, and not an easy thing have, to do. 
once you have a, a feeling or a, a, I guess a connotation to a word or a phrase, a situation or a feeling, it's really difficult to change your feelings and connotations yeah. to that thing. So once he attached, you know, an emotion to the, the words and feelings not normal as concerning him, that's how he's going to feel about it. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's coming from his mom yeah. or Mr. Brunner or whoever. If someone is saying he's not normal, he's going to need some real hard evidence <laughs> to convince him that it's going to be a positive thing and not a negative thing. Yeah, and, and I think I think mom bridges that you know, by saying, you know, I sent you to Yancey thinking that you'd finally be safe. Right. And and Percy has kind of an, an sort of an aha moment. Safe. Safe from what? And yeah, and it's it's that's that's kind of you know their eyes met, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And memories the memories flooded met. back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's when Percy starts to remember some of the other things that had gone wrong in the first chapter. You know, there was the Saratoga battlefield, the accident with the Revolutionary War cannon, and then the Marine World shark pool accident. Mm -hmm. And we get to hear about another one here with this this really really big dude in a black trench coat um that seemed to stalk the playground um and and he noticed for a moment under the broad rimmed hat that he only had one eye um but but because he was a third grader was just willing to dismiss that as right this... well and, and he's, he's being gaslit his whole life yeah like yeah. every time he sees something odd like well that can't possibly be real right and you know after after so many times you just start to believe that like right. every time you see something strange it's just because something's wrong with you yeah especially because it's more strange than <laughs> it seems at first because it's it's not just a man with one eye it's like it's not like he's got an eye patch coming yeah. on the missing right. eye. he has one eye in the middle of his yeah. head like he only ever had one eye <laughs> well, yeah and, and who who believes a child right well, Who yeah. believes a child when it's something like a man was stalking me and he had one big eye in the middle of his forehead? Except for the, the people that are planted there to oversee him. And, you know. And then they intentionally mislead him. Yeah. Saying but like, even, even, even regular people. Yeah. Like well, it, sure, yes. You know, like. Everybody's in league with Exactly. Who's going to believe, who's going to believe that? And so. It was a big scary dude. Exactly. Because, yes, they saw the person, they saw the person following him. And, yeah. and anyone who's going to be frightened and nervous by something like that, it's not a stretch to extend that anxiety and that nerves to something fantastical mm -hmm. because of imagination. And so even unintentional gaslighting by people who aren't intentionally misleading mm -hmm. him, yeah. you know, happens, which only feeds into the people who are intentionally misleading him and they're like, mm, yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, then you get into the use, like, and you touched on it a few, few minutes ago, like the use of his powers. You know, he, it, it's like sometimes, and, and another reason why, as adults, or whatever, another reason why we tend to lie or even keep things from the people we love is that sometimes people want the truth like a four year old wants a puppy. 
you know, yeah, you might like the puppy, but you're not ready to have the puppy by yourself. I'm not leaving you with this puppy. You're only four. Mm-hmm. So it's like at the same time, while he wishes everybody would be more straight up with him, mm-hmm. he himself is doing things. The, the question is, you get the impression from him and his personality, you get the impression at this stage in his life, is he sure he even wants to know? Like yeah. the little showdown between him and his mom. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The little... So, is there something else you <laughs> yeah. No, Mom, there's nothing else I'm not saying. <laughs> okay, well, then, later on, when we're by ourselves, you can tell me about that thing you forgot to tell. I'm actually going to backtrack in this conversation a little bit um, to where they're talking about Percy's father. Because there's a little bit of this tangentially related yeah. with, yeah. with yeah. seeing things that other people aren't seeing or that people are saying you didn't see. Right. He has this image in his head of his father. Yes. It, it's It's... Some something of a phantom image. It's basically yeah. like just a picture, basically. Yeah, yeah that's smiling, he has glowing this face, right? Distinct yeah. image. Yeah. And yet when he brings it up to his mom, she says, No, he left before you were born. You've never met him. Yeah, there's no way. It's like, well, how do but I it's, have this image? Right. Then? And it's so clear to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and it's 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 interesting. He never questions it. Right. I mean he does like sort of like weird things happen to me. But you know, there's that that other callback image, you know, to the Heracles moment where, where there are the snakes right. sent to kill him. Yes. And he's <laughs> the baby in his crib and, you know, they put me in there at daycare and somebody noticed there wasn't a snake in there and I choked it out with my little baby meaty hands, you know, like. <laughs> it's another one of these, these hints that are just, yeah. these first chapters especially are just rife with these little hints. Lots yeah, of little Easter eggs that are, that are yeah. going to be, you know, touched and, back on And this later. is another one. Just little things that like they they create mystery right now, but they also yeah. make so much more sense on a second reading. And yeah. you know, I, I, something that, that this made me think of just as we were talking about it, it kind of ties to something that a few of us were talking about before we started recording. Being the kid who cried wolf, and you know, saying they saw things, they experienced things that are not normal and different, and so on. I think is 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 something that honestly speaks to why a lot of kids really grabbed onto this in in an era where. Kids have a wide array of, of uh, developmental disabilities, uh, learning disabilities. Um, you know, there, there are things that are different about kids that are actually diagnosed and treated in in much more humane ways than certainly when I was a kid. As no diversity. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, there yeah. there is there is so much more diversity to the, to the way that kids learn, to the way that kids process things. That that I think I think it really it really speaks to to one of the reasons why people uh, hold this so dear, even though technically speaking. We're going back to the old myths in terms of stuff that other people can't see and, mm-hmm. you know, conversations between gods and people that only the person who is, you know, subject to the conversation with Athena or Aphrodite or whoever uh, can experience. It's it's something that speaks to real, real world grounded, you know, non-magical world. We'll, we'll say this is the non-magical world that we yeah. live in. <laughs> um, and and I, I think I, I think it's something that um, if I had read this when it originally came out, uh, I don't think that it would have hit me that way. Uh, mm-hmm. The way that it does now, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there is a lovely sort of normalizing of um, of neurodiversity kind of baked into the story, and I, you know, a lot of that had to do with Rick kind of looking at his son, who was both ADHD and dyslexic, and going, you know, hey, these are battle reflexes. Your brain is hardwired for ancient Greek, not modern language. That I just love. And we all know that out at, out at Camp Haplet Austin Branch every summer, um, we, we have a tremendous number of campers who, who are in the sort of kind of neurodiversity 
you know, bracket on the spectrum somewhere. And, and um, it's a place for them to feel at home. We hear from their parents all the time. We hear from them saying, I don't feel like I belong, you know, the rest of the year. And I look forward to coming back here because this feels like family. It's pretty wonderful. Yeah. And speaking of Camp Half Blood, uh, this is this is where this is where his mom starts having uh, having a talk that not every twelve-year-old uh, boy uh, gets, uh, which is about uh, how he he needs to go to this summer camp that his dad uh, wanted him to would have wanted him to. Uh, she is she is sending him on this quest. Not that he knows that that's what's happening, but it, he's starting to wrap his mind around it. And we're happy. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And of course. From Percy's perspective, this is like, oh, so you're gonna send me away again, mm-hmm. right? In fact, at one point, um, Sally, Percy's mom, says, "I've tried to keep you as close to me as I could," and of course, for Percy, that must be like, wait, really? You send me away every because, year? Yeah, yeah. You keep sending me away. It does not seem like what you're saying does not seem like the truth. It doesn't, it doesn't line up. It doesn't track. Yeah. And the language that she's using when she's saying that you're going to have to go to the summer camp, you know, like you think summer camp, it's, it's, you know, confined within, contained within the months of summer, but she's saying it as if she's never going to see him again, yeah. which is just another like layer of confusions, like that words don't even mean what you expect them to mean. Yeah. And, and an interesting contrast here is, uh, she says it's actually Percy's father who wanted him to go to the summer right. camp, but she didn't want to send him there. That's right. So there's this interesting idea that she's the one sending him away during the year, but yeah, she like, can't bear to send him away during the summer. And this, this summer thing, she seems reluctant to do it, then right. why is she doing it? You know, it just right. it creates more questions. Especially since that's a shorter amount of time. Why not have me here during the year and then send me away for summer camp if you got to send me away? Yeah, having right? this really heavy conversation at the cabin in Montauk where she spent time with Percy's dad, so it's significant there, uh, saying... Weird, kind of gross. Okay, <laughs> gosh, Mom. Odd choice of venue, thanks. <laughs> and then um, and then saying he wanted you to... He wanted you to go to this summer camp. Uh, and then, that, of course, that after, means... After yeah. saying, no, 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 your dad never saw you as a baby. Uh, yeah. right. so they, after saying, he knew... I was expecting, but he didn't know me at all. But he, yeah, right. but then, but then he jetted. Uh, but you know, how, but how long did he know that I that she was expecting? She never explained that. You know, like did I say, hey, I'm having a baby, and then go? Did he? You know, like because she never, you know, like she never explained that whole thing. So, you know, it was one of those things at the time that I was like, so he, the dad explained the summer camp after her saying she was pregnant one time being like right. this summer camp this summer. is very important that's right <laughs> this child that is not yet born here's what to expect yes <laughs> that's right yeah that night i had a vivid dream it was storming on the beach and two beautiful animals a white horse and a golden eagle were trying to kill each other at the edge of the surf the eagle swooped down and slashed the horse's muzzle with its huge talons. The horse reared up and kicked at the eagle's wings. As they fought, the ground rumbled and a monstrous voice chuckled somewhere beneath the earth, goading the animals to fight harder. I ran towards them, knowing I had to stop them from killing each other, but I was running in slow motion. I knew I'd be too late. I saw the eagle dive down, its beak aimed at the horse's wide eyes, and I screamed, No! I woke with a start. Outside, 
It was really storming, the kind of storm that cracks trees and blows down houses. There was no horse or eagle on the beach, just lightning making false daylight and 20-foot waves pounding the dunes like artillery. With the next thunderclap, my mom woke. She sat up, eyes wide, and she said, Hurricane. I knew that was crazy. Long Island never sees hurricanes this early in the summer. But the ocean seemed to have forgotten. Over the roar of the wind, I heard a distant bellow, an angry, tortured sound that made my hair stand on end. Then, a much closer noise, like mallets in the sand. A desperate voice, someone yelling, pounding on our cabin door. My mother sprang out of bed in her nightgown and threw open the lock. Grover stood framed in the doorway against a backdrop of pouring rain. But he wasn't... Well, he wasn't exactly Grover. Searching all night, he gasped. What were you thinking? My mother looked at me in terror, not scared of Grover, but of why he'd come. Percy! She said, shouting to be heard over the rain. What happened at school? What didn't you tell me? I was frozen, looking at Grover. I couldn't understand what I was seeing. He yelled. It's right behind me, didn't you tell her? I was too shocked to register that he just cursed in ancient Greek, and I understood him perfectly. I was too shocked to wonder how Grover had gotten here by himself in the middle of the night because Grover didn't have his pants on. And where his legs should be? Where his legs should be? My mom looked at me sternly and talked in a tone she'd never used before. Percy, tell me now. I... I stammered something about the old ladies at the fruit stand and Mrs. Dodds, and my mom stared at me, her face deathly pale in the flashes of lightning. She grabbed her purse, tossed me my rain jacket, and said, Get to the car. Both of you. Go. Grover ran for the Camaro, but he wasn't running exactly. He was trotting, shaking his shaggy hindquarters, and suddenly his story about a muscular disorder in his legs made sense to me. I understood how he could run so fast and still limp when he walked. Because where his feet should be, there were no feet. There were cloven hooves. We have uh, we have another, uh, you know, ancient mythology-style thing happen in the night. The dream, yeah. right? The dream. Yeah, yeah. Once again, this aspect mm. of, of seeing things, of this sight beyond sight, you know, sort of omens. Yeah, the, the go. golden eagle and the horse trying to destroy one another on the beach mm-hmm. during a storm. And then... We should know this is a dream that Percy's having. That's right. I don't think we actually said that. And then and then he he wakes up suddenly in an actual storm. <laughs> There's not an actual horse and, and an eagle you know, for, right. Right. Yeah, for those, those not familiar with the general meteorological conditions of the Northeast, uh, not a whole lot of hurricanes in the greater Nor- right. New York uh, tri-state area. And certainly not hurricanes that manifest horses and eagles. Right. So, <laughs> or out of the blue. Yeah, or just out of the blue. But yeah, he calls it, you know, that night I had a vivid dream. And we get used to Percy having the vivid dreams as the series goes on, but we're sort of, you know, really kind of introduced to it. So, yes, we've got this dream that Percy has, and he wakes up in the middle of a storm. Um, his well, mom also and, wakes and up. Very important in the stream, well, beyond the animals fighting. Because honestly, I I didn't get any any animal um, 
symbolism from oh, that because I, I didn't know the symbolism behind the animals when I read this the first time. Okay. I didn't know I didn't know the symbolism the first time. What got me in that, not even knowing the symbolism behind this either, but what mm, made me uncomfortable was the the line, and it's right here that said. Um, uh, as they fought, the ground rumbled, and a monstrous voice chuckled somewhere beneath the earth, goading the animals to fight harder. And it was the beneath the earth. I and not knowing what the the plot, yeah, future yes. plot was going to be. It's just the fact that beneath the earth, you know, that kind of thing was making something on top of the earth do stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that's what kind of it was unsettling. It was unnerving. Party that is actually controlling things. Exactly, and so not knowing even the symbolism of what those two things were, yeah. that was what kind of like, okay. um, and so not like later on, kind of connecting all of the all of the dots. I was like, <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> uh, um, and I guess for people listening, the what the two animals do represent is the eagle. Mm -hmm. Zeus mm -hmm. and the horse is Poseidon. That's right. And uh, a familiar face shows up. Just shows up. Door as just shows up at the door. Grover. As <laughs> Percy's mom wakes up and begins packing everything and hounding Percy to hounding Percy to get up and get into the car. And J just as you start wondering when Grover without his pants was supposed to show <laughs> yes. up. Uh, yeah. Guess what? This is here's Grover without his pants. Yeah. Does he not have pants? Well. <laughs> and I guess the, the real surprise is when you just read the title, you think maybe Grover is um, surprised that he doesn't have pants, but, that, but no. that's the real surprise, <laughs> that's that he's not. He's not, no, no, it's, it's normal. And, and, and Percy notices this and says, yeah, but you know, where his feet should be, there were no feet, there were cloven hooves, you know? Um, but also, also what struck me in this is that it's very specific in the writing that his mother is not scared of Grover or of what Grover looks like. She's yeah. scared of why he's there. He's there. Yeah. She's not shocked that he's not wearing pants. She's yes. not shocked that suddenly he's got furry legs. Right. Um, and his mom knows it all. Exactly. Yeah. And so that shocks Percy enough that the narrative voice has to point it out. Yeah. Right. Like her questions aren't, who are you? Why do you have goat legs? What are you doing here? Yeah. She turns she's to like, Percy. She's like, what happened at school? What did you not yes. tell me? Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 Because if he's there, then that's, I mean, clearly, clearly, clearly Grover's a harbinger. Yes. This is the thing she's been fearing right. the whole time. The whole time. The reason and why he keeps getting sent away. Yeah, and and then with with Grover saying, you know, it's right behind me. We gotta go. You know, that's that's the the O blank moment. <laughs> you know, we gotta get out of here. So. And so we uh, we pile into the car as immediately as humanly possible. And uh, and we feel like we're we're jumping into the next chapter into what uh, definitely becomes something of a chase oh, yeah. scene in an action movie, um, chapter four, uh, which goes rather quickly. Um, my mother teaches me bullfighting. Yeah, man, this one gets me. This is the punctuation mark on on the the, the feelings about mom early in the book. So we'll pick up with this chapter on the next one. We'll get to Camp Half-Blood for the first time. How does everybody feel about these first chapters? I guess I'll go to Adele first, since you're the one who, who couldn't 
couldn't sleep, literally couldn't sleep without <laughs> binge reading into uh, everything. Uh, is, is this kind of propulsive energy? Is this, is this part of what really grabbed you at first? Yeah, I mean, and, it's, and that's what it is. It's, it's propulsive energy because it's... The chapters do not have cliffhangers. The book, each sentence itself is a cliffhanger. You know, each idea, each... each you know, paragraph itself is a cliffhanger. You want to know, you very quickly um, get to know these characters and you very quickly care about them and you very quickly want to know what happens and you want to know more. You want to know the story and the fact that there are peppered in, you know, references to Greek mythology and to history and to, you know, all of these callbacks to all these things is enough for you to go, oh, I know what that is, or oh, I remember that. And and it's accessible for you to want to see, you know, A, what else you can kind of recognize in and how it's gonna tie together and how it's going to work itself in. And I you I don't know, you just read until it's done and then you don't realize that You've already finished it. <laughs> no, For me, honestly, <laughs> knowing knowing that we need you know a break point here, it it kind of brings to mind the fact that in reading the book, uh, Rick Riordan is kind of the the greatest enemy of bedtime. Yes. Uh, in the in the ending at the end of a chapter, it's it's real difficult to just stop because of the way that it, it drives us forward into the next phase all of the story. Of, all of those kids reading by flashlight at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it just the it's 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 a lot of. Even in the parts that seem mundane, there's a lot of shut up and get in the car. There's a lot of mm-hmm. come with me if you want to live. Even when they're come, even when they're coming home, and he's like, uh, Rover's like, please just let me walk you home. Promise me, okay? I promise. Next page. So I ditch Grover. <laughs> I want you to know. He used the bathroom. I went for it. I'm sorry. He'll be all right. Let me go deal with sweaty game. You know, and it's like a lot of boom, 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 boom. There might as well not even be chapter separations. It's just one whole book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I really like these two chapters. I mean, I think that they do a, a really good job of building the mystery by giving us half information. Because we're right there with Percy the whole time. We know just about as much as he does. We're overhearing the things that he's overhearing. And it's only, it's only like fragments. And, and it all leads up to this moment at the end of chapter three where suddenly like things are revealed finally. Like Grover doesn't have pants. <laughs> and, and or, like, or human legs. Oh, yeah. and, and, we, and, and we've got to go. And so it's like, you know, like there are all these things that are hinted at. And it, even though in the next few chapters he still doesn't quite get everything, it's, it's like we're finally like moving into this place where things are going to be revealed and there's going to be some serious action that's happening. And it's like the, the, for these chapters are not like as exciting as what's coming up, but it's laying all the groundwork with like, all of the things that we're gonna that are going to be revealed and doing some really great character work like yeah. setting up Grover and like how like even though we don't know exactly who Grover is we still get a sense of who he is you know in his personality like mm-hmm. nervous and fumbling and um, and then and then we don't really get to know Mr. Brunner that much but his mother and Smelly Gabe like it's just some really good character work that's happening in these chapters because I love 
like like me being me being a cinephile, it's like you gotta love. I really have an appreciation for 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 the way Rick tells a story. Like even in the in the in the part where he's having the dream, where he's sitting there dreaming about the about the eagle mm-hmm. and the horse going at it, and then all of a sudden, from the moment he wakes up, I just visualize the scene. You know those kind of like hurry up and stumbly cam kind of moments to where as soon as he wakes up suddenly boom boom there's a knock on the door and there's like a kind of like joggy cam look at the door and then Grover comes in and all of a sudden mom sees Grover like okay wait a minute you're here why didn't you tell me and he's like I clearly just woke up (laughs) wearing pants clearly there are other issues (laughs) that need to be dealt with right now other than what I didn't tell you about Yancey why aren't you wearing pants in front of my mother sir and that's also when he that's also when he realizes that he heard and and automatically understood ancient Greek if I remember correctly that's the first time he he made that connection because he's been in Latin class all year but that's the first but that's the first time he heard and understood Greek and it was cursive (laughs) because the first thing you the first thing you learn in any language is how to cuss and count how to cuss and count (laughs) he's sitting there fussing about how he's not grasping it you see how nonchalant he is about mentioning words like Sharon and Karen mm-hmm. you know like I'm not going to learn the difference between this and that and I'm like what you just said it's so casually yeah you know what I'm saying you are great you know this stuff you are this stuff yeah and the more and more he realizes who he is the more danger he's in and that's that's what's so masterful again in in how we're introduced to the other characters because we get to see how Percy thinks of himself Mm-hmm. In in relation to the people around him, these half truths, uh, stories he thinks he remembers a certain way, mm-hmm. memories he thinks he has, but nobody else can confirm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's disorienting, mm-hmm. and and it should be. And I love that all of that disorientation up to this point is gonna really really pay off, you know, for us in the next two chapters. That brings us to the end of Chapter 3 of The Lightning Thief. We did our first performative reading in the middle of this episode. What'd you think? Let us know. Between-the-pages.org. Shoot us an email. Drop us a line on social media. Whatever you choose. If you'd like to support the show, rate and review us on iTunes. And follow and share the show on Spotify. Those two things will help us big time in both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Mr. D, do you have any advice as we continue on through the book, things that we should do? Don't be dumb. Well, I know you can't help it, but try not to be dumb. We'll be back next Saturday with more Between the Pages. Thanks for listening.